Let's pray. Father, we pray right now that you would release your Holy Spirit afresh to move upon us. Holy Spirit, would you right now cultivate the atmosphere to receive your word in the soul of the church and in each of our individual souls? As we have prayed, we pray for peace to reign right now in Jesus' name. And we pray for an anointing to speak and to hear. And Lord, we pray that your voice would be heard from your heart today. So speak into the soul of our church in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 5, we are coming to the end of our time looking at the story of Jairus and this series that we've been in. Over the last couple of weeks, or this week and last week, we're looking at it in relation to culture change. And we spoke last week about how this passage speaks to us individually about change of culture within our own hearts and the culture that we carry. This week we begin to look at it in terms of what happens and what it looks like when Jesus begins to change the culture within a gathering of people, within a moment, within a circumstance. And we allow it to speak to us a little bit about perhaps what we have been experiencing and where we have been as a church over the most recent times. So, Mark chapter 5, we're at the moment where last Sunday we looked at how Jesus arrives at Jairus' house to begin to minister to this girl, and this is when we begin to see culture change. And as he arrives at Jairus' house, the first thing that we see him doing is setting the scene for the miracle that is about to ensue. And Mark, he begins to narrate this for us, and he records almost Jesus kind of scoping the scene, scoping the situation. We pick it up in verse 38. And it says, when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. Now, we covered the crying and wailing loudly part last week. This is the description of the professional mourners, those from the community who were hired in at the passing of a loved one to weep and wail and sing lamentation. And as, as we mentioned, the, the concept was that the more mourning that accompanied the passing of a loved one communicated the more affection and respect there was towards the loved one who had passed away. Basically, back in the day, people liked to put on a show when their loved ones had died. And these professional mourners were those who were skilled in the art of carrying and creating a culture of grief. It was the common practice of the day to arrive at the home of the bereaved and to see these mourners at work. This was the norm. This was the expectation. This was the tradition that accompanied loss and grief. However, while it was the expectation and considered normative practice, when Jesus saw this, he described it as a commotion. And we defined that last week from the dictionary that a commotion is described as a disturbance. And that causes some questions to arise in our minds. How is it possible for these mourners who are showing love and respect towards the memory of this little girl, how is it possible for them to be described as disturbing the feng shui? Why does Jesus consider those who are serving this family and supporting this family in their grief? Why does he consider them to be disturbing the situation. And the reason, of course, is because the culture that they carry 
is contrary and contradictory to the culture that Jesus carries. The culture that they carry cultivates grief, but the plan and the purpose for God in that moment is life. So the first thing that Jesus does as he enters the house is to create the conditions necessary for the purpose of God. In order for the life of God and the purpose of God to manifest in that moment, Jesus has to change the culture within that environment. He enforces culture change. And when we look at this, there are two very clear things that we can see from this text that brings the change. The text says, when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw the commotion with the people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. Two clear things bring culture change here. The first is the presence of Jesus, and the second is the voice of Jesus. Without a doubt, it was when Jesus turned up in that moment, when he went into the house, when he entered the circumstances of that moment, that is when culture changed, because the presence of Jesus brings culture change. When he turns up, just his very presence causes the environments within which he manifests to conform to the culture that he carries. And here's the thing. Jesus' presence in this moment was the result of the invitation of Jairus. The whole reason that the power and the presence of Christ has manifest within this home and manifest amongst these people was because Jesus was invited by Jairus to come. And you know, every single Sunday that we gather together, every single Sunday we intentionally take time and we intentionally make room to welcome the presence of Jesus amongst us. We purposely, purposefully, and directly request his presence and extend invitation to him and communicate welcome to him. And I know that there can be real differences of theological opinion regarding this. Some would say we don't need to welcome him and invite him because he tells us whatever two or three gather, there I am in the midst of. Equally, there would be those who say we are filled with the Holy Spirit, so we carry His presence everywhere that we go. When we turn up, His presence is there. We don't need to welcome Him then. We could take the argument even further to say that God is sovereign. This is His church. We are His people. He doesn't need our permission to manifest His presence amongst us. And all of those statements are 100% correct. They are biblically true. But here's the thing. God says, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. He says, seek me, and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. So when we come together and we welcome him and invite him, it's not that we are permissioning him. As though if we hadn't told him he could move amongst us, he would not be able to do that. It's not that if we didn't invite him, it means he couldn't come to our party and he'd be crying into his cereal in the morning. The welcome, the invitation, the expression of, of, of come amongst us, of welcoming him, is an expression of desire. It's communicating, we want to be where you are, we want to draw near to you, and we want you to draw near to us. It's us as a people communicating a seeking. When we are welcoming him, when we invite him, we are together communicating that we seek him. 
We seek to be in his presence. We're communicating heart. Our heart says of you, seek his face. And so we come with hearts and spirits wide open to him and we say, come Holy Spirit. We long to be in your presence. We long to step onto holy ground. We long for you to come and to have your way amongst us. This act of invitation, this intentional taking moments to welcome him is all about us lifting up the doors and opening up the gates that the King of glory may come in amongst us. For it's in the moment when our pursuit of him meets his pursuit of us, that's when glory happens. He is always pursuing us. He is always seeking us. He is always positioning himself within our moments. That's why he makes the head start and says, you know what, where two or three are gathered, I'm going to be there in the midst of you. He's already taken the first step, but when we then turn our hearts in that moment of welcome and invitation, when we turn our hearts to him, our pursuit of him and his pursuit of us meet, and glory takes place. Heaven comes close. You know, when we look through the Gospels, one of the other things that we see about Jesus is that Jesus always responds to invitation. Be that an invitation to heal, to teach, to preach, to perform a miracle, to have a meal, to hang out. He even responded to invitations to debate and to question and be questioned. Even when folks hadn't quite formulated the question out of their mouths, Jesus heard the question in their thoughts, brought it out into the open, accepted the invitation and entered into a debate. I think it was a bit of unfair footing there, but that's the way he did it. Jesus responds to invitation. So when we come together and we invite him who promises to be amongst us, when we come and invite the God who breathes and deposits his spirit within us, we have the confidence to know he will always respond. But here's the other thing. When he comes, his presence always brings change. In fact, when we invite him to our house, he comes and his presence begins to change the culture of the house that he inhabits. We have to be ready, but we also then have to be willing. He will always respond to our invitation. He will always come near to those who seek him and draw near to him. But we, what we have to realize is that as we begin to host his presence, as we facilitate him amongst us, his presence always changes the culture of the house that he inhabits. Church, we are desperate for his presence, yeah? Wow. We are desperate for his presence, right? And we have quite a strong presence-centered focus here at Glasgow Elam. So although I'm like asking the question, the truth is you wouldn't be here if you weren't open and hungry for his presence. But what we need to learn is that if we truly desire to welcome him and host him, then we need to accept that when he turns up in our house, he's probably going to move the furniture about. Because he changes the culture of the house that he inhabits. His presence shapes culture. But so does his word. The second thing that brings culture change is the voice of Jesus. Two things are called out to us that Jesus does before he ministers to the girl and her family. And this is interesting to recognize the order. There are two important things that happen before the purpose of God unfolds in that moment and the plan of God is manifest. Two things are called out. Jesus sees the commotion. And then what happens is that Jesus speaks into the commotion. 
The word of God is released into the commotion that is taking place in Jairus' house. He speaks and his voice, his instruction, his direction, his will begins to change the culture of that house. Now, we focus on this for a little bit because it does help us to understand what happens when Jesus begins to change culture. Remember, we said last week, his voice will always reveal his activity and his activity will always confirm his, his word, his, his voice. And here in this moment, as we journey in through this passage, as we build up to this culture-shaping moment, it's all beginning to get exciting as you're reading it through Mark's gospel. Jesus has turned up. He has responded to the invitation. He's entered Jairus' house, and as soon as he turns up, he begins to speak. This preaches really well. Jesus is in the house. His presence has entered the room. He's releasing the word of God into this moment. This is revival about to happen. You can almost hear that as Jesus begins to speak, the Hammond organ in the background strikes up. Revival is coming. Culture change is about to take place at his command. Amazing things are about to burst forth. His presence is in the room. His voice has begun to speak and, and everyone's getting excited, except actually that's not at all how it happened. According to the passage, he turns up. His presence is there. He releases his word to the people, and, and here's what happens. They all fall over in response. No. The glory cloud fills the room. No. The mourning ladies dry their tears and use their hankies as flags and whip out their tambourines and begin to do church together. No. It says he turns up in the moment, he speaks into the situation, and everyone laughs at him. Jesus speaks into the situation at Jairus' house, the house erupts with laughter. They're all gathered around the lifeless body of this girl, and Jesus rocks up and says, why are you guys all upset? She's only sleeping. And the people are like, eh, hello, Jesus, did you not get the memo? This isn't a slumber party we're having. It'd be a pretty depressing one if it was. This girl is not sleeping She's dead. Now, here is a very helpful insight that is useful in bringing understanding and framework to what we've been experiencing as a church right now. At least they help me. Because as Jesus begins to change culture, he does so by speaking into the culture that exists. He begins to release truth into that context. And the people laugh. Not because they're mocking him, but because what he is suggesting seems absolutely ridiculous in view of what's happening right in front of them. Based on what they see, based on what they understand, what he is suggesting seems stupid, seems ridiculous. Everybody's there in their funeral rig out. Professional mourners have rushed to the scene. The house has filled with family and friends and neighbors. They have seen the girl. They have stood at the side of her corpse. It is clear she is gone. But Jesus turns up and says that she's just sleeping. This is a ludicrous suggestion. And do you know what? When God begins to release his word to bring culture change, what he speaks can often seem out of kilter with what we see before us and what we perceive around us. Sometimes it can feel out of place with what we're experiencing, what we understand, what we recognize of the journey up until this point or, or when we hold an opinion 
on what is happening round about, it can jolt almost. It can feel jarring. It can be uncomfortable to hear. And this is when we really need to be careful because when he begins to speak culture-shifting truth, because it can seem so out of kilter with what naturally we perceive before us, we can be prone to dismiss what we hear, to become offended by it, to reject it, ridicule it, or be unsettled by it. And that's when we really need to begin to see and hear with the eyes of the heart and begin to discern the leadership of God. We validate his word with his presence, that what we hear him saying is what we see him doing because his voice always announces his activity and his activity always confirms his voice. So as God seeks to bring alignment for his purpose, he begins, first of all, by shifting culture and he corrects and changes the present culture to reveal the culture that his presence is releasing. And as he begins to speak prophetically through teaching, through his word, through words and insights and pictures, it can at times seem as though the direction that he is leading towards seems ridiculous, seems out of place, and seems ill-fitting. And that's because it is. It doesn't fit with the current culture because it's changing the current culture. If it fitted the current culture, it would hold no power to transform it. And as people, we can actually settle into patterns of culture. We can settle into patterns of culture that become socially accepted norms, unspoken rules, codes of conduct, the unwritten way of doing things round about here. And when God is changing culture, he begins to upset all of those things. In fact, what he says and what he does challenges those things. And that's why culture change can be so uncomfortable and even painful. Because it involves changing the status quo. And last week, we took a moment which was particularly powerful, where we permissioned culture change. But what we've got to realize is that permissioning culture change means being willing to release the status quo. Great band. Sometimes, then, when God speaks in culture-changing moments, when He releases His Word, it can feel and seem a bit left field. It can feel and seem a bit far-fetched because he's changing the status quo so it doesn't fit with what we've been used to. It doesn't fit with what we think is right. It doesn't fit within what we've settled within. Maybe in this season as God has begun to speak into our culture, Maybe the call to culture shift, the direction of travel, even the forward ministry trajectory can seem unnecessary to some of us, ridiculous, uncomfortable, out of place, even sore. Maybe it's jolted a little bit, or you think this feels out of kilter. Take comfort from this. It kind of has to be in order to bring culture change. Take heart that although we feel all of those things and we can recognize all of those things, it's because he is changing our culture and he always does so right before he does something really significant and special. We see that with Jairus. The resurrection from the dead must be classed as one of the greatest miracles. Not that we rate them, but if we were, raising from the dead would be right up there at the top, in my opinion. Jairus and Mrs. Jairus are about to receive the greatest joy, 
Their intense grief is about to be completely transformed. And as a result, their understanding of God and their lives in relationship with God are about to be completely transformed as well. They're about to move from having their whole world ending to having their whole world turned upside down. And as they see this tremendous demonstration of power. He's about to bring them into this place where they're going to see tremendous power. They're going to see the presence of Christ at work. They're going to see glory invading that moment. And in that room, they're about to see an amazing demonstration of God's love towards them. But first, culture change. They're going to get a front row seat right in front of them there. Everything is about to be changed. They're going to see the glory of God in operation right before them. But before that, Jesus brings culture change. Culture change precedes significant moves of God. If you look through history, you will see that fact. Before every significant move of God, there came a very significant culture change within his house or amongst his people. Let's explore that. The passage continues in verse 40. After Jesus put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with them, and went in where the child was. Quick point to note here. When Jesus first met Jairus, he and the disciples were surrounded by a humongous expectant crowd. Jesus forbade anyone in the crowd to follow him except Peter, James, and John. And then at the house, he removed everyone except Peter, James, and John, the child's mother and the child's father. Jesus here is truly changing the culture in this moment. But look at this from Peter, James, and John's perspective. Jesus has taken them from the rest of the disciples. He has brought them out of the company of those that they were familiar with, and he's brought them alongside a man and a woman who potentially they've never met before. Look at this also from the perspective of Jairus and his wife, Mrs. Jairus. Jesus had turned up and removed from that moment everyone who were familiar to them. He has separated them from their closest friends, from their nearest and dearest, even from their immediate family, and brought them together with three men that they don't really know, three complete strangers. The last thing you want when you're facing the world's worst moment and experience, when your world comes crashing down, the last thing you want are three strangers staring at you. This was a vulnerable moment. This was an emotional moment. It's an unfamiliar scene. Sometimes Jesus pulls back the crowd from our lives. Sometimes Jesus takes us out from that which is familiar to us and those who are familiar to us. And sometimes he can bring us alongside some of the most obscure people or people we wouldn't necessarily associate with or be in the company of. And we think, why? Why is this happening? Why have those who were normally familiar pulled back? Why has God taken me or called me out of that familiar setting or that familiar group of friends or from those familiar people? Why has God changed my relationships and my influences? And at times we can even ask ourselves asking the question or find ourselves asking the question, why these people? Why has he brought me alongside these people? You know, these people where you're like, I would not choose to be with these people. I would never in a million years choose to be in the company of these people. But yet God has brought me alongside these people for a period of time. Why is that the case? It's because he's transforming culture. 
He's changing the culture around us in order to change the culture that we carry. Sometimes God pulls back the crowd to release healthy, healthy culture. And sometimes he pulls back the crowd in order to bring us into alignment with what it is he's about to do. See, in moments of culture shift, there is always a pruning and a planting. And it sounds like a contradiction and metaphor there to talk about pruning and planting, but it's not. In culture-shifting moments, God can remove that and those that are familiar and graft in that and those that is unfamiliar. And those moments can leave us feeling quite vulnerable, quite exposed. And I kind of feel a little bit like the journey over the last few months has left us feeling as a church a bit vulnerable. The moments we've gathered has felt quite exposed, I think. Moments of culture shift leave us feeling vulnerable and exposed, but they are healthy because they're part of the process. In this moment in Jairus' house, Jesus literally pruned back and grafted in. He removed the mourners from the house, both the professionals with their dirges and the visitors with their respects. And this seems like the obvious thing to do, but actually in this time and in this moment, what he did was sacrilege. Jesus was interrupting the norm. He was disturbing the routine. He was removing the familiar storyline that was normally attached to moments like these. This was what mourning and grief looked like back then. This was the scene that was always found when people died. The deceased may change and may be different every time, but the sights and the sounds accompanying loss never changed until Jesus turned up. And he changed it. He changed it at Jairus' house. He completely transformed the culture by removing the familiar and the comfortable and leaving the vulnerable and uncomfortable setting of a set of grieving parents and three complete strangers in their house. If we are to embrace culture change, then we need to recognize here some of the hallmarks that have been on our journey and some of the hallmarks that will be for the next wee bit of our journey. Church, he's going to change the familiar storyline here. It's going to make us vulnerable. Things at times will feel uncomfortable. That and those that are familiar may be replaced with the obscure and the unfamiliar. And the routine and the regular order of things might just end up completely thrown up in the air. And although that is difficult to hear, we take comfort in this. This is his church. He is the shepherd. We follow his lead and we trust him because we know that his ways are good and his purpose is right. In the case of Peter, James, and John, as well as Jairus and Mrs. Jairus, God was changing the culture in the house to release his purpose. He was positioning them to be part of something really significant. Church, this culture-changing process is not comfortable. It, it does leave us vulnerable and exposed. It is involving, we can see it already, a pruning and a planting. It's all very weird, but we've got to be encouraged by the fact that culture change always precedes something significant of God. Yeah? yeah. And so we believe that as we embrace this, it's sore and it's uncomfortable but he is preparing us and he is positioning us for something really significant. We've got to set our sights on that. In this moment, as well as removing people from the house to enable culture change, Jesus also brought transition in a very literal way. Verse 40 says, after 
He put them all out. He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. After Jesus had removed all those who were facilitating the wrong culture, he facilitates movement amongst those who remain. And we're not going to go too far in this so it's not misunderstood, but there's two movements that Jesus brings here. There's two moves of God in this moment. One involves the removing of that which facilitates the wrong culture. And one involves a movement of God amongst the people that were remaining and left behind. In church life, we position a move of God as when the party breaks out. But in actual fact, God begins to move long before that. And it specifically says here that as Jesus moves those that remain, it says he took them. Jesus is leading here. This isn't Jesus' house that we're in. This is Jairus' house. But yet, when you read this, Jesus is very much in charge in this moment. And Jesus' leadership and authority moved those who were present. They had to be willing to submit to his authority. They had to be willing for him to take charge. They had to be willing to do what he was leading them to do. Church, culture change will only take place if we are willing to submit to his leadership and his authority and to follow where he is leading. These people, they were moved in two ways. Firstly, we're told they went into where the child was. And the inference here is significant, and there's actually layers to this. The fact that Jesus removed the crowd and then went into where the child was suggests that the, the child was where the crowd wasn't. Or that where the child was, the crowd was not there. This suggests then that they moved to a more private place. A place out with the public eye. And he took just them. Not the crowd, not the extended family. You could imagine him putting everyone out and taking the grandparents as well. Or the aunts and the uncles, but no, he put everybody out. Except Jairus, his wife, and the three disciples. They moved from, if you imagine, the big public room, perhaps where all the crowd was. And he put them out and then he took them alone into the smaller setting where the child was where it was just him and them and the three disciples. He took them to a place of intimacy. Culture change will always involve a movement towards intimacy. When God begins to change a culture, it always involves moments that are up close and personal with him, times when he comes close and breathes within a situation because he is releasing his life to shape the culture that exists. So to shape that culture into his life, he begins to release his life within that. He begins to come close to shape the culture with who he is. He moves powerfully and significantly within culture-shifting moments. And there is this paradox where it's sore and it's uncomfortable and it's vulnerable and we feel exposed, but at the same time, we feel him coming so close in moments. And personally, that's where I was last Sunday. Where (laughs) traveling through that message felt so vulnerable and exposed and didn't feel like things were going in the right direction and it was difficult and it was hard. And then suddenly he came so close as we permission culture change. There's this paradox. But the other aspect that we can't ignore is that Jesus put the crowd out and he transitioned those who remained to where the need was. See, culture change sees a transition towards need. 
In this moment, it saw focus being shifted. Before Jesus arrived, the focus of the gathering was on the morning of the death of this little girl. When Jesus arrived, the focus shifted to ministering to the need of the little girl. Jesus brought this shift in focus. The shift, uh, the focus shift moved from crowding around the eventualities of life to exploring the possibilities that were found with intimacy in his presence. And while that preaches really well, we cannot neglect the fact that Jesus' arrival saw focus shift to where need was within that moment. He took five people to a place of intimacy to serve the needs of another. He didn't take them to a place of intimacy to release prophetic revelation, to bestow a new anointing, to empower with new gifts and new ministries. He transformed culture. He took his people to an intimate position and he ministered to the need of a little girl. Church culture change involves focus shifting. We cannot host the presence of God without serving the needs of others. Seeking God involves serving others. It involves the shift from the culture of crowding around the eventualities of life and the dynamics of church. It involves a shift to exploring the possibilities that are found when we begin to carry the culture that flows out of intimacy with Him. Culture change requires turning our focus to the last, the least, and the lost. Church, I need to nail my colors to the mast here. There can be no move of God without serving the needs of those outside our four walls. We cannot host his presence if we remain insular and inward focused. How do we touch Govan Hill? Are we touching Govan Hill? Should we be touching Govan Hill? The answer is yes. But we cannot move biblically scripturally, or we cannot move within the spiritual dynamics of God, there will be no move of God without serving the needs of those round about us. We have to turn our focus to the last, the lost, and the least, to the broken, to the downcast, to the hurting, to the poor, to the impoverished, to the destitute. If God is changing our culture, then we have to realize right now, from this moment forward, he's beginning to shift our focus. And this has to become part of the onward dialogue and the ongoing conversation. How do we touch the world outside with what God is releasing to us inside? How do we carry this culture out? And until we come to that place of recognizing, admitting, acknowledging, and accepting that yes, God may bring a party here, but the party is not just so that there is a party here, it's so that we can bring transformation to those outside these four walls. This is why that man, I believe, was positioned at the gate as they were going to temple in Acts chapter 2 or Acts chapter 3, where as they go to pray, they meet the lame man on the way because outside the church having a party in the Holy Spirit was someone who sat in need. And Jesus' heart was to respond to that need. Like Jairus, God will shift our focus. He will shift the focus from the regular, the routine, the way that things have always been. He will move from the, this is just what you do when you gather in moments like these. He will shift our focus towards serving others and serving the needs of others because this is what lies at the heart of the culture that carries the culture of his heart. The culture of his presence is one whose heartbeat 
is the lost, the last, and the least. Let's look at verse 41 as we bring it into land. It says, Jesus took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. A few points come out of this. The first is this. When the crowd pulled back and just Jesus, the disciples, and the parents are in the room, the first thing that we need happening is that Jesus took the girl by the hand. He connects with the girl. That's the theme of this series, connecting with Jesus. And as Jesus connects with the girl, notice something hugely important. As he connects with the girl and takes her hand, he has just answered Jairus' prayer. Because if you rewind back to the beginning of the passage, you'll see the request of Jairus when it says, he pleaded earnestly with Jesus, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Jesus in this moment, as he takes the girl's hand in his, he has just answered Jairus' prayer. Now, this is not what Jairus had in mind when he asked Jesus initially. This journey was not the journey that he thought would have taken place when he made his request. This is not the way he thought all of this would plan out, and this is not the way he envisioned Jesus answering his prayer. But he cannot deny the fact that Jesus has well and truly answered his request. Do you know what? God doesn't always answer our prayers in the way that we want, or in the method that we envisaged, or even within the time scale that we expect. But that doesn't mean that he won't answer. God's ways are higher than ours. His thoughts really are higher than our thoughts. He doesn't think the way that we think. So why should we expect him to answer the way we think he should? However, here's the big point. Moments of culture shift normally see seasons of answered prayer. In the midst of the unfamiliar and the unsettling, the upheaval and the undoing, God begins to respond to intercession. He begins to unfold prophetic promises. He begins to answer the requests of the heart. He just doesn't always do it the way that we expect him to. So if we truly are in a season of culture shift, which I think we are, then we're in a place where God answers prayer, but does so in his way and not in our way. Because the culture that we are relinquishing is ours, but the culture that he is releasing and forming within us is his. The culture that we relinquish is ours, but the culture we receive is his. So when he moves and when he answers and when he unfolds the prophetic promises and, and the visions and the pictures, he won't do it in the way that we think he would or in the way that we think he should because it's not our culture he's serving. It's his. Serving him, serving his will in prayer, ministering to him, ministering to his presence in worship, hosting him and his glory with all that we've got. These are clear indicators of changing culture. And we can begin to see those happening amongst us. Moments where just the other week there we stood as story after story after story of answered prayer of healing. Moments just like we've just had where we have ministered to him in worship and he has come so close. Moments like last week where things were really difficult and vulnerable and exposed but then he came so close within that. We can see the hallmarks of culture change happening amongst us. However, delve a little bit further. 
Because what we see here is not only does Jesus take the girl's hand in his, but he also speaks to her. He says, Talitha kum, little girl, has said to you, get up. Notice that the miracle came into being through the touch and the speech of Jesus. And we've come full circle again, and there's so much that we could talk about how, as a church, we can't just be a shouting mouth to the world out there, but we actually need to go out and touch and connect with those that are out there. That's when the miraculous happens, but we actually come back to the point that we made earlier, and that is that his word will always reveal his work, and his work will always confirm his word. It was the voice of Jesus, it was the touch of Jesus that brought the miracle. In culture change, it is the word of God and the touch of God, the ministry of God that brings the transition. It's connecting not just with his presence, but also with his voice. It's connecting not merely with his presence and his word, but also with his heart as well. Culture change involves encounter. It involves encounters with his word and encounters with his presence. It's letting what he's speaking through his word not just to be received in our minds, but to have an impact on our soul and our spirits as well. It's coming into alignment with his word and letting it shape us and shape who we are and what we are. Culture-shifting seasons involve times of real pressing in and letting his word land in our souls and in our spirits and not just in our minds. We cannot have this as a merely academic moment. This has to be a moment where we plant deep in our lives what he is speaking. Lastly, though, and this is the final point, we see something very important. It says in verse 43, he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Isn't it interesting that Jesus asked for food to be brought to the girl? Again, there's loads of places that we could go with this. We could talk about how in this moment he met her practical needs as well as her spiritual needs, and, and we need to do both of those. But we don't have time to go into all of this. For the sake of time, we land just in one concluding point. Jesus has just released a miracle that brought life to the girl. And the next thing that he does is he orders for food to be brought to her. He released the miracle of life, now he orders for that which will sustain the miracle. As God changes culture, the instructions that he gives, the teaching from his word, the revelations from his heart, the insight of his purpose is actually intended to sustain the culture that he is releasing. And these can be practical steps as well as spiritual steps. Jesus did both. He did spiritual stuff. He released the miracle. He performed the, the, the miracle and saw glory happen in that moment. But then he instructed some very practical stuff. Bring some food to her. These can be practical steps as well as spiritual steps. But what he will always do is he will always resource his will. And his word will always sustain his work and what it is he is doing. That which leads us into, that which he releases within us, that which he speaks and teaches and ministers. While it might seem out of kilter right now, he's actually releasing into the soul of the church that which will sustain that which he is shaping amongst us. It may not seem to make sense to us right now. It may seem like it jolts and it jars and it's out of place and you're like, really? What is this all about? What's going on? But actually... What he's releasing now is supposed to sustain what he's doing. Glasgow, we are in a culture-changing season. And this word culture, while annoying to hear, it's going to be on our lips for a while now. We must embrace what he's doing.
We must listen carefully to what he is saying. We must recognize the instructions and the guidance from his heart that will sustain the culture that he's releasing within us, which is going to showcase his glory to the now, the next, and the not yet generations. Glasgow and God is shaping our culture. And you know, as I was thinking about this, because again, I was kind of like, when you look at the journey that we've been on in the latter part of this year so far, you're kind of like, it doesn't really match with the journey that we were on at the beginning of the year. But when you think about it, Jesus turned up in Jairus' house and he changed the culture in that moment. And he released this miracle. And the result of the culture shift is the mourners were put out and and they were brought into that intimate place with him as they surrendered to that culture change, as they permissioned that culture change. Remember we said, as Jesus said, everyone you need to go, they would all look to Jairus to say, do you want us to go? Do you want us to stay? Jairus would have needed to permission this and say, yep. As they followed his authority and his leadership, their little girl came back to life. Joy was found. Culture shift brought joy to them. You could imagine joy bursting as she sat up awake. You can imagine the kissing and the hugging and the celebrating and almost the moment of wanting to go and get all the family and bringing them into this moment of joy. But that joy came because of the culture change. Start of the year, we started off talking all about joy. And as we hit the summer and steered from them on, you kind of like feels a bit out of kilter with where we're at. But actually, this is the stage that we need to be in to reach that which he has has promised. That word that he spoke and taught is all about joy. That's to sustain the culture that he's releasing within us. But first, culture change. Like Jairus and Mrs. Jairus in that room, really do believe we're going to see something really amazing. It's not just preachy talk. I really believe, Glasgow Elam, that we're going to see something amazing. God is going to do something that's just going to blow our minds, completely transform our understanding of level of faith, our spirituality. He's going to do something that's going to impact our friends and our family. He's going to do that, which is going to transform our neighborhood and our community. He's going to do that, that's going to transform our legacy and the storyline of Glasgow Elam. But first, culture change culture change and the place we need to come to is a place of saying even although this is our house actually we hand over and say this is your house so you take us where we need to go you dictate what we need to do you speak and we follow and I think this is something really important, actually. I didn't intend to say any of this. But I think this is something really important. I think a key moment for us, Glasgow Elam, is that we as Glasgow Elam need to give the house back to him. We need to give the house back to him. And we need to see we're not going to hold this as this is our house, this is our reputation, this is the way that we do things, this is who we are, this is what we do. This is the way that it's been. This is our story. This is our legacy. Actually, it's time Glasgow Elam to give the house back to God and say, this, this, this is your place. This is your gaff. 
Come and change the furniture. Come and move the furniture around. Come and transform the culture. We submit to your authority. We give over to you. And then what we need to do is we need to embrace the fact that culture change always involves movement towards intimacy. And he's here and his heart is drawing us closer. And so, again, this is the day of the unusual, forgive me. But I wonder if we can symbolize the giving over of the house to God. Let's surrender Glasgow to Jesus.